Our second reading today comes from Luke chapter 17. On the way to Jerusalem, Jesus was going through the regions between Samaria and Galilee. As he entered a village, 10 lepers approached him. Keeping their distance, they called out saying, Jesus, master, have mercy on us. When he saw them, he said to them, go and show yourselves to the priest. And as they went, they were made clean. Then one of them, when he saw that he was healed, turned back, praising God with a loud voice. He prostrated himself at Jesus' feet and thanked him. And he was a Samaritan. Then Jesus asked, were not 10 made clean? But the other nine, where are they? Was none of them found to return and give praise to God except this foreigner? Then he said to him, get up and go on your way. Your faith has made you well. The word of the Lord. I'm terrible at receiving gifts. Honestly, I'm terrible at it. And if you were planning on giving me a gift and you're expecting a great reaction in return, I'm not your guy. It's just not gonna happen. And I'm definitely not a candidate for a hidden camera video like this gift's gonna make them have an over the top reaction. And I know some of you who know me, this is coming as a great surprise to you, right? But that's just not the type of response I typically give. In fact, um, our first year of marriage, Morgan and I were at her parents' house and um, Morgan's mom gave me a really thoughtful, intentional gift. And I responded, which I thought was an adequate response. And apparently my response was a little bit muted because Morgan said to her mom, I told you he's terrible at receiving gifts, <laughs> but I promise you, I promise you he appreciates it. Many gospel stories like the one that we see today that involve healing, have the healing, the power of Jesus to heal, Jesus' interaction with the people in this healing story as the, the climax of the story, as the highlight of the story. But today it's actually the response that Jesus lifts up to us, invites us to pay attention to. And it's an unlikely source, the identity that Luke sort of slow plays throughout the passage. But we know from our reading, it's a foreigner, it's an outsider, it's a Samaritan who provides our example for us today. When we meet the lepers, they're shouting at a distance, Jesus, master, have mercy on us. Most likely this was a combination of Jews and Samaritans because we know the identity of one from our passage was a Samaritan. And disaster and leprosy was a disaster in the life of people this day. Disaster has a way of leveling the playing field, of melting away any other distinctions that we might commonly divide ourselves by. And we all know this from our recent history with Hurricane Harvey, right? We saw people coming together and it didn't matter gender or race or religion or any other thing that we might normally lift up as a division between us. But humanity rose to the surface in the middle of that disaster. And in the face of what was going on, that's all that mattered. And in leper colonies of this day, there was no space for a distinction between Jew and Gentile. And while there were no distinctions inside the colonies, we still see that they were at a distance when they reached out to Jesus and his followers. And this was appropriate from what we read in Leviticus. The leprous person who has the disease must wear torn clothes and let the hair of his head hang loose. And he shall cover his lip and cry out, unclean, unclean. He shall remain unclean as long as he has the disease. He is unclean. 
He shall live alone. His dwelling shall be outside the camp. They shouted from a distance because they were required by law to keep a divide between themselves and normal human life. And interestingly, from a distance, Jesus shouts back to them, go show yourself to the priest. In another story of healing, Jesus touches the man and lays hands, but today he shouts across. Did, did you say mercy? Yeah, yeah, sure, mercy, great. Go show yourself to the priest, no problem. I imagine that, you know, it may not have been that casual, but I loved, and I think it's so interesting that Jesus shouted across the distance. The healing didn't happen in the moment, but they asked him, go declare yourself clean to the priest, while leprosy was still clearly on their skin. During this day, the priest was someone who was central to being proclaimed clean and fully restored to society. In order to ease the mandates of what we read earlier in Leviticus, they would have to appear before the priest to be declared clean to enter the common life of the rest of society. So you have to wonder what's going through their mind. Are we really going to head towards Jerusalem? We're still covered in this disease. Imagine their hesitation. What if it doesn't work? I'm not going in the temple with my skin like this. Is this Jesus guy for real? But there was something about this exchange across the divide or something that they knew about Jesus already that caused them to obey his command. So they go and scripture tells us as they went, they were healed. As they go, they are made clean. Scripture doesn't tell us how or when. It doesn't tell us if it was gradual or immediate. It doesn't tell us if they had only traveled 15 minutes down the road or if it had been a full day's journey. But somewhere along the way, they were healed. Now notice what happens next. We find that one of the 10 returned to Jesus, praising God with a loud voice, fell on his face at Jesus' feet, giving him thanks. This leper looked down and saw that he was clean. And he ran back to Jesus with the enthusiasm that you would expect from a healing of this nature. And he offered at Jesus' feet, unfiltered, uninhibited praise and gratitude. And this is the response you would expect, right? Of course, the response would be to say thank you to the one who gave the gift. Yet we only see one of the 10 come back. How is this possible? I love imagining Jesus' tone here when he says this. Where are the other nine? Wait, did, did it not work for them? Were not all 10 cleansed? Was no one found to return to give praise to God except this foreigner? One out of 10 returned to give thanks for a gift that changed their entire life for the better. Where were the other nine? Now let's imagine this for a second. Is it possible that the other nine were grateful? Yes. I'm guessing they were ecstatic. I'm guessing instead of running back to Jesus, they ran to their families to be reunited in a way they haven't been united in a while. I'm guessing they ran to the priest to get their clean bill of health, 
so that it could start living normal life again. Or simply, you could say they were just doing what Jesus told them to do. But the Samaritan went back to the one who gave him that life and thanked him. He felt gratitude and he expressed gratitude to the one who made his new life possible. The others very likely felt gratitude, but they didn't express it. And there's a difference between feeling gratitude and expressing it, isn't there? And you've experienced this, no doubt. Maybe it's at work where you feel overworked and underappreciated. It's as if your boss doesn't know anything that you do. He might actually be incredibly thankful for your hard work, but without that thanks expressed, to you it seems if he doesn't notice a thing that you're doing. A simple expression of gratitude would go a long way in your desire to continue the great work that you're doing. Or maybe it's in your marriage where you, felt, you haven't really felt loved or appreciated or noticed lately. It may be that that's not the case, but without your spouse expressing that, you're left to guess the intentions of their actions. And we all know that guessing game is not always very helpful. Or take a family in a moment of crisis. They're finally slowing down and they're talking to each other in a real way because the situation demands it. A parent says something that just overwhelms the child. Words they've been waiting to hear. Words that they've longed to hear their whole life. I love you. I'm so proud of you. You mean everything to me. And the child is overwhelmed. They've been waiting to hear that their whole life. The parents often sit there and confused. How is it possible? They didn't know that I felt that way. How is it possible? They did not know I felt this way about them. There's a difference between a response that is felt and one that is felt and expressed. Let that sink in for a moment. There's a difference between a response that is felt and one that is felt and expressed. It's easy to judge the other nine, but what is our response to God? What is our response to God's grace in our lives? What is our response to God's presence with us? Only one of the 10 chooses to express their gratitude and notice what Jesus says to him. Get up and go. Your faith has made you well. Made you well. Maybe healing is at the center of the story after all. But in this case, it's as if Jesus is saying our response matters. There's something about worship and gratitude that brings wholeness to our lives that makes us well. There's something about worship and the expression of gratitude that makes a difference. There's something about gratitude and the expression that changes us and draws us into fullness of life. When it comes to expressing gratitude, when it comes to living a life marked by gratitude, shouldn't we as followers of Jesus be leading the way? Shouldn't us as Christians be marked by an overwhelming sense of gratefulness for who God is, what he has done, and how he brings us into his kingdom on a daily basis? 
And shouldn't that gratitude show up here on Sunday morning and be a hallmark of our time together? One commentator picking up on this theme says, Luke seems to be connecting the practices that mark Christian worship with the restoration of health. We are reminded by the leper's actions that the ultimate place where we cry out to God, receive mercy, and be transformed is the church where we offer, where we gather to offer our thanksgiving and praise, where we gather in the presence of one another to say thank you to God for who he is and what he has done in our common life together. Martin Luther is said to have defined worship as the 10th leper turning back. Worship, our response to God, should look like the 10th leper turning back. It should be unfiltered, uninhibited praise and gratitude. If you're like me, you have to constantly remind yourself to be grateful. It can be easy for us to take life for granted. And everyone loves to harp on the generation of young people today for their sense of entitlement, and maybe rightly so. But don't we also find if we're not careful, our broken human default mode is entitlement? I deserve this. I earned this. Yeah, sure, God's a part of it, but it was my own cleverness, my own resourcefulness that's got me to where I am today. It's amazing how easily ingratitude can creep into our hearts and lives. When Jesus asked, where are the other nine? He's letting us know that there's something incomplete without the expression of gratitude. And remember who's providing our example this morning? It's the outsider, the foreigner, the one who doesn't belong, the Samaritan. Church folks, let's be honest. We take God for granted often. We get caught up in all the wrong things. The hallmark of our time together is not always gratitude, but it can be a lot of other distractions that we give our time energy to. That's why Fred Craddock reminds us, it is often the stranger in church who sings mightily and loudly the hymns we've long left to the choir who expresses gratitudes for the blessings we had not noticed, who listens attentively to the sermon we think we've already heard, who gets excited about our old Bible, and who becomes actively involved in acts of service to which we send small donations. We tend to take the presence and activity of God for granted, don't we? Brene Brown, in her research on human behavior and human emotion, she found that it's not joy that leads to gratefulness or gratitude, but it's gratitude that leads to joy. And I think in some ways we know this, but I also think we live by a different formula sometimes. We think that if we were living the good life, if things were going well, then of course we would be grateful. And the ones who are grateful are the ones who are doing that. Or we think maybe with more experiences or more things or more of this or more of that, then we would find our place of happiness and we would truly be grateful. But it's actually the opposite. And she said this was clear as day in her research, that people who practice gratitude and practice meaning that they fed their life with gratitude, practice meaning they felt it and they expressed it, 
practice, meaning they had some kind of habit of either daily listing their, their blessings or whatever it was, but they had something that they were practicing gratitude. Those people in her research had the clearest and strongest correlations to experiencing joy in their life. So I wanna get practical this morning. And I wanna take a moment to feed our souls with gratitude. Your soul needs gratitude. Let's practice expressing gratitude today, here and now. As we sing this next song in this next space, I invite you, if you haven't already, to take your footprint and write something down that you're grateful. But even more than that, I invite you in the space of these next moments to be with God and express, don't just feel it, say the things you rarely say and express gratitude to God. If you need to take your bulletin and make a list, do it. If you need to grab Psalm 103 and read through it and meditate on those words, do it. But let's feed our souls with gratitude in this moment. See, the story of the leper is really our story as well. Like the lepers, we were at a distance and God brought us near. We were on the outside and God brought us in. We needed grace as we traveled on the road of life and Jesus met us there with mercy and offered the grace that we needed. We were broken and God made us well. Let's feed our souls with gratitude.